she's not going to begin with any sarcastic comments, and I'll begin with one where I, yesterday I was a below average Joe, um, so my, my plan was to be home. We went visit my parents this weekend for the first time in several months, and um, so yesterday, we're getting ready to pack up the car, and so I got everything ready to go put in the car, and I can't find my keys anywhere. Three hours later, I still can't find my keys. So I drove two and a half hours to meet my wife halfway and picked up the spare set of keys and then drove another two and a half hours back down there and then five and a half hours home. Um, so we got in at like 2.45 this morning. So I'm afraid if I sit very long, I'll be asleep with some of you. Um, but, but incredible journeys are one of those things that are fascinating for us. And that was not an incredible journey. That's the opposite of incredible. Um, it's a, you know, just don't lose your keys. Uh, but... But what I've been thinking about is the way in which I'm fascinated, and probably you are too, when you read about or hear about stories about someone who did something adventurous at some level, right? And so it's fascinating to me, especially at the turn into the 19th century or into the 20th century from the 1800s to the 1900s, there was this big push for expeditions across the world to be the first to see something. And so there was the first group to want to go to the South Pole, right? So... Roald Amundsen and Robert Falcon Scott both took expeditions and they raced to the South Pole. Amundsen, he decided that his group, when they got there, they were going to go 20 miles per day, period. Bad weather, 20 miles. Good weather, 20 miles. Scott's group, if it was a nice day, they might go 40 or even 60 miles in that day. If it was bad weather, they would just do very little. Well, you would think that would make some sense if it's great weather, take advantage of the great weather, except for the fact that Amundsen's group made it to the South Pole and back. Scott's group made it to the South Pole, but never made it back. Their bodies were found later. Why is one group who went 20 miles a day, 20 miles a day, 20 miles a day, and another group who went as much as we can, Ooh, bad weather, let's stop. See, there's something in life where we begin to recognize that so often it's just the consistency of doing something again and again and again leads to the great result. It isn't just this great burst of energy in one moment only to later realize, oh, it didn't work out. Now, that's, I'm not planning to go to the South Pole because it's way too cold for me. I don't like cold weather, so that's probably out. But I've always been someone who's fascinated with the idea of adventure. Maybe you have been too. Just, I haven't really done much in terms of adventures, but I've been fascinated about the idea of adventures, right? My brothers and I were walking trails in Colorado when we were teenagers thinking it was really cool. I mean, it was really not that big a deal. But I would see that mountain off to the side and go, I wonder if I could climb to the top and back today. I never did it. I just wondered if I could. Right, you wonder, you, you maybe find yourself walking a trail, and so you may enjoy these things, but it leads us asking these questions. And then I, I begin thinking about the idea of what would it be like to climb a mountain? Right, Mount Everest is the famous mountain many have tried to climb, and many have tried to climb it alone, but very few have been successful. Over and over again, um, in fact, it's outlawed by the government in Nepal that you can't do it solo anymore because it just ends in death far too often. So what's my, what's my point in all this? For great success, we need others. 
Great success never seems to happen alone. Great success never is something that's an individual pursuit. It never really seems to work out in that way. And so when I think about the scriptures, Peter is the disciple who I often think of in terms of maybe epitomizes the adventurer who tries to do it on his own. Right? I mean, he did some cool things. Like he decided no one else was willing to get out of the boat. And so Peter's like, I'm getting out of the boat. Walks on water. I mean, he freaks out, but he, I wouldn't have got out of the boat. And if you say you would, I don't know if I believe you, right? I mean, like, that's just crazy. Peter's the same one who, when he says, if everyone betrays you, I won't do it. I don't need them, but I, I'm enough only to later betray him. So then we see in Peter's writing and in his life, he begins this way of trying to live in such a way that, that really I, I know that I have to have other people. I can't do this on my own. I've tried on my own, and it didn't work again and again. And so he believed we didn't not only need Jesus, but we needed each other. So here's where we pick up from 2 Peter, beginning with verse 3. Here's what Peter writes. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter begins with this idea that it's the divine nature of God that's all we need. The power of God is enough for us today. See, we're invited into this divine nature of God. And at one level, that seems like, well, what does that mean? But it's this idea that in, in who we are, we're invited into the very nature and presence of God, but often we are not so sure about that. What Peter's trying to say is, listen, if you'll seek after the character and nature of God, you'll find fullness in your life that you have never known. Because this is who God is. He wants the best for you. And maybe this is helpful for you. It's not that, it's not that God wants something from us. It's that God wants something for us. See, so often we think it's God wants something from us, and reality is God wants something for us. See, in verse 3, Peter makes clear God gives us all we need. Verse 4, he talks about how this, that we get to share in his divine nature. And then in verse 10, he says he wants to confirm to us that God has called us. It's this invitation. So I think these words from N.T. Wright are maybe helpful for us today. Whatever we do by way of obedience and allegiance to God, 
and the gospel. It all takes place within the grace of God, by means of the promise of God, through the power of God, and leading to the kingdom of God. In other words, this is a great place for us to start. And then Peter does something that's pretty common in ancient literature. He, he gives a list because people didn't have books. They didn't take stuff home. And so lists were easy to remember. And so Peter gives this list that really builds on one another. It begins with faith and it ends in love. And everything in the middle is bookended. And faith and love are primary in this list. But he gives this list. And faith is the idea that it is the foundation of the Christian life. And he says, goodness. Goodness is defined this way. If we're going to use the Greek, I'm kind of giving you just the definitions of the Greek words in their context. But goodness is just doing what is right, even when it is difficult. It's goodness. Knowledge. Wisdom and discernment for a virtuous life. Self-control. The ability to control one's actions and words. Perseverance, to trust in God and hope for the fulfillment of his promises. Godliness, respectful attitude toward God. In fact, this is the Greek word for religion. To have right religion. Mutual affection or brotherly kindness. In fact, that word is Philadelphia, right? It's why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. And he ends with this. Love. Love is the glue that holds all these virtues, these characteristics together. They build upon one another. It's this idea that what might happen if we decided we wanted to live after these characteristics, these virtues, in increasing measure, what might happen? What might our lives look like if we decided that we want to live into this way? We recognize that faith and love are primary for that to happen. And the more we seek an increase in these things, the more we begin to look the person God created us to be. We begin to live into the divine image in which we were created. In fact, we come to the place where we begin to recognize these virtues lead us to wholeness, and wholeness leads us to holiness. Wholeness leads us to holiness. And then, Peter says something that if we don't seek these virtues, if we don't learn to live after these characteristics, these qualities of life, he says that we are nearsighted and blind. If we don't choose to go after them with increasing measure, if we don't desire more of them, then what we find is that we're, we're nearsighted and blind. And what he means by that is this. I'm going to say it another way. We're choosing to close our eyes and not see. pursue these ways of life, these ways of our character and our nature because they are the reflection of the divine image of God in which we are created. And Peter says, confirm your calling and election. In other words, don't forget God has called you. God loves you. God desires for you to know him. And it's we affirm God's calling and election by our effort. It's not that we don't have a role to play in this. It's that we recognize God makes the first move. We're not passive in our faith. God is the one who makes the first initiation. It's the divine initiative combined with the human response. Those two things are intimately connected. Divine 
initiative and human response are intimately connected. It's not that God just does this thing and where we do our thing. It's that God does his thing first and invites us into this journey. So I love these words of John Wesley. He says it this way. First, God works. Therefore, you can work. Secondly, God works. Therefore, you must work. Our confirmation of our calling and our election is our part. Peter makes it clear that we're invited. That God desires for us to know life to its fullest, to live in such a way that in the midst of heartache, in the midst of chaos in the world, he's writing to churches that are being persecuted and exiled in the middle of all that. In fact, he's writing to churches that are, that are not sure what they believe and they're hearing all kinds of confusing voices around them, not too dissimilar than probably what you're hearing today. He says this, but seek first these things, these virtues, these characteristics. These are the definition of the nature and character of God. And then he says this, you'll never stumble. In other words, I would say it better to say not you'll never stumble, but you won't fall away. You won't fall away. All right, what's the, what's the result of never falling away? It's entering into God's eternal kingdom. I love these words from one scholar. He says the eternal kingdom here referenced is not to heaven, but to the cosmic reign of God in righteousness in the new heaven and the new earth. God's going to redeem and restore and make all things new, and he's inviting us to live into that here and now, not just sometime out there, somewhere when we die but we can take hold of what Jesus has for us in this moment. It's this idea that we can be saved from something. It's not that God wants something from us, but for us. The scholar put it this way, salvation is not simply Christ's work in us. It's also his work through us. Demonstrated by a life of holiness. Holiness is conformity to the image and person of Christ in one's disposition and behavior. I hope you're beginning to catch a theme in Peter's writing. We're not passive in our spiritual journey. We're not passive in our idea of faith. We're not someone who sits idly by, but what might happen if we joined with God in his work? What might happen if we lived in such a way that we entered into relationship with God in such a way that it might begin to change who we are and the impact we have in the world around us? What might happen if these characteristics that Peter writes we begin to embrace in our everyday life. Can you imagine what it might look like on social media? Can you imagine what our conversations might look like around tables and over cups of coffee? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that might look like? See, here's the problem for us. So often we try to do it alone and we go, oh, I just can't do it. What if we did it together? What if, what if we did this together? In fact, what if I said this way? What if we decided collectively we're going to climb a mountain? You and I together, all of us. Now, I don't mean like Mount Everest because that's a lot of like actual climbing, like cliffhanger kind of climbing, and that's an old reference to a movie from the 90s. So if you're very young, you don't know what I'm talking about. But, but, but it's this idea that like there's some climbing we can do, more like not Mount Everest, but like K2 where you can actually hike that. You can walk the whole thing. But if you and I were going to go climb K2 together, we're going to do it together, right? We would go, we would begin to train. We would start walking hills 
here. Then we might get a pack and we would put like some weights in that pack and, and figure out what we're going to take. And we would put everything in that pack and we begin walking hills here with our stuff. Then we would make arrangements for there to be Sherpas, guides. And we would buy special gear. And we would plan out a route. And we would go to Kilimanjaro and we would set up a base camp. We would get acclimated to the elevation. And we would do these methodical steps all the way through. And then we had trained together. We had practice. We had our guides there. We would begin to make the climb. And what we would find is by doing it together, when we would stumble and fall, because we will stumble and fall at some point, when we go with people, someone reaches a hand down, pulls us back up, and says, ah, we're in this together. You're not alone. You don't have to do this by yourself. But if I go by myself and I climb this mountain and I, I become one of those people that are somewhere on Mount Everest that some of their bodies have still never been found. Because we're not meant to do this alone. We're not meant to journey by ourselves. But on our journey, whether it's our spiritual journey or even climbing a mountain, when we do it with others, then all of a sudden a hand can reach down and pick us up and we don't have to be defined by our stumbles, our setbacks, our sin, our brokenness, our past. We can recognize what Peter is trying to say. Hey, listen, I tried to do it by myself, and Jesus came to me and said, you cannot do it alone, but let me make the first move in your life. And if you let me make the first move, then you can respond. And then your past does not have to define your present or your future. It can literally be your past. We enter into this climb together. The spiritual journey, this life seeking after knowing Jesus in such a way that it literally changes our very perspective of how we see the world. Because there's something in all of us that recognizes whatever we're running after, sometimes we go the wrong way. I feel like so often in my life, huh, I'm like Scott, the explorer. Go really fast one day. And I say, oh man, I went too hard yesterday. I gotta take a break. <laughs> I think I need to sit down for a minute. I'm just gonna wait right here. It's a little cloudy outside. I think we're we're going to call it a day. But there's a reason why Munson and his team just went 20 miles a day, 20 miles a day, 20 miles a day. They kept going. They recognized there's something about doing this over and over again that we get further along the journey. Even when we stumble, there's someone to pick us up. This, by the way, is why we gather even weekly. Because we can't do it alone. And I know these are unique days, and I know many of us are joining online right now. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm home. Well, join with us. Comment, like, share, post, talk. You're not meant to live your spiritual life alone. And for those of you in the room today who I'm looking at right now, when you leave today, go hang out outside and talk to each other. We're invited into relationship with each other because we're not meant to ever climb Climbing alone often leads to failure. In fact, I would say it this way. For to climb a mountain alone, it's possible we'll make it. But it's incredibly unlikely. But if we climb together, it's possible we won't make it. But that is incredibly unlikely. 
The faith journey is a climb together. Together. There's potential that we become all that God has created us to be. We come to know the fullness of love in the person of Jesus. Together we can do this alone. We find that we stumble and we fall and we're not so sure that we can get back up. We're not so sure we just feel isolated and alone. But there's something about seeking after Jesus together that we begin to find makes more and more sense. And this is what Peter wants us to know, that we should not climb alone, but we climb together. Yes, please. Spend time in prayer. Read things that are for your devotional life or read the scriptures. Those are great things. But don't think on your own, you and I are capable of making this journey. Because we're not. We weren't created to to go about it that way. But if we'll seek to go about it together, we're likely to find all that God has for us in this life and enter into his kingdom here and now and find that God's reign, God's rule, God's desire for us to be whole, we'll see in this life, not just the idea in a life to come. It doesn't promise there aren't going to be hardship and heartache. We see that in the middle of right now. But what he does promise is, I am with you, and you have one another. So the invitation for us is simple. Climb together. Father, will you help us today as we try to wrestle with what does it look like for us to climb together? For us to be your unique people who are so radically defined by your love and your hope and your grace. May we find that we seek after you in these days in ways that change the very essence of who we are. That we come to know the fullness of your love and it so shapes us that we begin to change the world. And we recognize in our spiritual journey we may stumble and we may fall, but we recognize you are always there looking to pick us up. And you invite us to be people who pick up one another. And so, Father, it's our prayer today that this world really would be changed by hope and love and grace and mercy and justice, and they would come from your son's love, seen in us. And these virtues that that Peter writes about, that they would become ever-increasing in us, and we would look more and more like your son, and we'd be more and more defined by faith and love, and these virtues would be what make us whole, that we would find it. Wholeness leads us to holiness. We take one step every day. When we fall, we know that we can keep on going. But we know that you are near. And so, Father, we pray today that we be defined by your hope and your love and your grace. We pray this in your son Jesus' name.